This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Longwoods International, one of the premier research firms in the travel and tourism space in the world. Longwoods produces groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and their recent resident sentiment study. Learn more about Longwoods International at longwoods-intl.com. And now it's on to our show. Today, we welcome Michael Crockett, CEO of Tourism Ottawa. Michael is a recognized leader in tourism and aviation in Canada. In his current role, he leads Ottawa's official destination organization, which spearheads sales and marketing initiatives for attracting visitors to Canada's capital, while also making investments in long-term development of the destination. Prior to joining Ottawa Tourism, Michael served as Senior Vice President with InterVistas Consulting, where he was responsible for the firm's airline, air service development, and tourism practices in Canada. Michael has over 15 years' experience at the management level with two of Canada's major airports, the Winnipeg Airports Authority and the Ottawa International Airport Authority. He is very active within the tourism industry and other business groups. He's a board member with the Ottawa Convention Centre, the Ottawa International Hockey Festival, and he is a member of the Advisory Committee for the Hospitality and Tourism Management Degree Program at Algonquin College. He has been the board chair of the Tourism Industry Association of Canada and the Ottawa Board of Trade, and has also served on the boards of the Ottawa 2017 Bureau and Invest Ottawa. He is a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, and he is a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. Michael has a master's degree in geography from the University of Manitoba, and he is a certified barbecue judge. Michael Crockett, welcome to DMOU. Uh, it is so great to be here with you, Bill. Thanks so much. Well, and for a second time, we must tell people, you know, like everything else the past 16 months, it's start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. We actually recorded this episode, what, two or three months ago. And right after we recorded it, Ottawa said, stop, <laughs> because you had this great idea that really you know, drew me to invite you onto the show. And then all of a sudden you had to put it on hold. So now we're going to start all over again. And thank you for giving me another 30 minutes of your time. But it's a great story. Actually, you've got several great stories. We're going to hit all three of them in your three questions in your bonus round. So a couple of months ago, when we did talk, we had just finished an episode with Visit Savannah's Joe Marinelli about his Savannah Safe program and a couple of other things that he was doing that was pretty cool. And we discussed whether those pledges, those programs that he was putting into place had wings in a post-COVID world. And I think we both agreed that indeed, a number of things that many of us have developed to mitigate a crisis will live on as we reimagine what travel, hospitality, hotels, and shaking hands looks like, right? So as we looked to filling hotels during the plague, you developed a new business model that I think can live on post-pandemic. You were about to launch a highly innovative promotion when Ottawa and Canada began to spike, and it was only a momentary pause as you are launching one that I think is momentarily brilliant but also has legs for the future. So again, this month, and you actually did it last weekend, you've launched a sensational program to drive overnight stays called the Room Service Concert Series. So Tell us the genesis story of this concept, some of the incredible performers you've got lined up, 
and how you got the program off the ground. Yeah, the, the, the Room Service concert series is really cool. It, it's a series of eight music and comedy concerts that are happening on Friday and Saturday nights uh, between uh, June 18th and July 10th. So you're right, we just had the, we just uh, had, as we record this right now, we just had the, the first set of, uh, of concerts uh, over this past weekend. And these concerts are being broadcast exclusively through the in-room television sets at 20 participating Ottawa hotels. So there's no special codes that require, there's no extra fees that are charged to the consumer beyond the booking of the room. But the only way to watch the concerts is by booking the hotel room. That's so, so cool. We hope, and the way we designed this is, is designed to be this a concrete boost for local hotels, which continue to be really hard hit by the pandemic here, operating still well below usual occupancy rates. And in fact, demand for Ottawa hotel rooms in May of 2021 was still down almost 70% from May 2019. Wow. So we're just starting now to see the restrictions loosen uh, here in Ontario. And you know, this is also a boost for the rest of our tourism industry too, encouraging uh, locals or visitors to stay in hotels, but also to, to safely order in food and drink or do some outdoor dining on, on patios or, or take in an outdoor activity and, and once possible to do so, which we hope will be very soon, book a time ticket for a museum visit or, or other attraction during their stay. And you, know, you asked, you know, where did the idea come from? What's the genesis of it? And you know, it, it's been a long time coming, as you, as you said, and just, just like all DMOs, we have spent the pandemic encouraging our community to shop local, support businesses in our community. And even though our national borders remain essentially closed and, and even travel within regions has been discouraged for, for much of the pandemic, but hotels have just not enjoyed that same level of local support yeah. that some other businesses have especially in urban areas, uh, they're, they're really hurting badly. So back in the fall, we were internally brainstorming ways that we could possibly help our hotel partners the, the same way we've been able to help a lot of other businesses. And at the same time, the organizers of Blues Fest, uh, one of North America's biggest and best summer music festivals, approached us with an idea of virtual concerts. And we put our heads together, uh, and I give most of the credit on our side to my colleague, Jantine, our director of communications, and, and this idea was born. And we all loved it right away. It seemed simple enough. We, we knew Bluesfest could deliver the talent, and, and we thought the ability to stream it into rooms would be would be quite doable. And there's some great talent too. A lot of Canadian content that we've uh, that we've got, like Alan Doyle with Great Big C, and Lemon Stella, Moon Moon versus Sun, Jerry D, Colin James, but also a lot of acts that would, would be more recognizable to a U.S. or international audience, like Third Eye Blind, Booker T. Jones, Larkin Poe, some non-musicians like Sophia Franklin and, and Pete Davidson and Alex Moffat from SNL. So some really cool, really cool talent coming. Yeah. You know, and from from the time that we the initial concept to execution, there, there were, of course, a ton of things that we, that we had to work out. You know, what was Blues Fest going to tackle? What was our part? Uh, that part was actually almost easy because our, our expertise is really complementary uh, with, uh, with Blues Fest. We also had the, the gaining buy-in and participation from hotels, um, securing some funding since both of our organizations were considerably down in terms of our usual funding right. uh, due to the pandemic. But once those pieces came together, um, we were able to push play on having Blues Fest get out there and book the talent, um, building out the logistics of the technology, getting our marketing campaign strategized and ready to go for March. And then, as you know, we went into that lockdown again <laughs> with some additional restrictions that, that made our plan A uh, impossible to do. And, and it was just it was a full stay at home order for our region. But that's the great thing. Uh, with, that's the thing with great ideas during these uncertain times. You just got to be ready to roll with the punches. And we set about our plan B, which thankfully we've been able to, to set in motion now with the gradual reopening plan in place for our province. I, I would never say that 
it was a blessing that this happened in March where you got shut down. But actually, as the reopening is happening fairly slowly, I would think that you're getting an awful lot of people who are seizing upon this. And this is not like traveling across country or across the world. The consumer still feels, I would believe, relatively safe in their own town, especially for the locals and the regional people who are coming in for the uh, the room service concert series. Definitely. And this is that moment in time, right? Yeah, absolutely. And those public health directives and guidelines are, are still very important right now. And, and of course, we know the more we follow them as a community, the faster we'll get to the other side of this, the same as any other community. But this is a nice, safe way to get back into experiencing events and, and happenings again in our community. So it's a great mental health activity. It's encouraging people to focus on some positive things and anticipate those those fun and pleasant things they can do down the road. And, and you know, music and comedy are stress busters too. By you know, you can enjoy this performance in your hotel room. You can dance. You can sing along. And you can laugh till your your, your stomach hurts. So, it's uh, it's some fun stuff. You bet. And Ottawans who have stayed at home for more than a year can't wait to travel. But if, before they do, this is it's giving them a chance to plan a staycation, local hotel. Bring that change of scenery, something to look forward to, and, and again, eases people into that idea of yeah. live events. Right. Um, and, and this is exclusive. This is the only place you can see it, mm -hmm. but you're still not in that uh, scenario where you're intermingling with a lot of people from outside your own household. So a, a nice stepping stone for people to be able to scratch that itch of, uh, of live events while still being in control of their surroundings. Yeah, the training wheels as we get back into doing live events and traveling and going to hotels. And and so let's talk the logistics of this program, because hotel television systems are not exactly known <laughs> as being the most reliable. And everyone has a different system. I know that, you know, the communities we've worked with that have been trying to do a local channel, a lot of times they just throw up their hands and go, it's too difficult because there's, you know, You've got five different systems that you have to interface with. And so sadly, in a lot of destinations where there could be a local channel, the DMO just throws up its hands and says, ah, it's, it's not worth it. So how did you get this cohort of hotels in your city on the same platform? I will agree with you. It is more complicated than any of us thought at the beginning of this. It's, you know, we even joke a little bit internally that at the beginning of this conversation, we all thought it was pretty much simple plug and play, but uh, it is anything but simple plug and play. So it is actually quite complicated on the technology side. It required a, a few different partners to be able to take what is essentially a, a streaming video over the internet and have that, you're right, be translated into every different uh, hotel system of 20 hotels and have that be broadcast at the same time live uh, through the televisions. Because it's not, this isn't something where people are connecting on their Wi-Fi or anything like that. It's it's actually being pushed through the TV system. So it is complicated. It required a lot of testing and trials and using some different pieces of equipment that none of us have ever heard of before. <laughs> it is something where with it in place now, it's kind of cool because I, I, you know, I did participate in it this weekend. I did stay at a, at a, at a local hotel and enjoy the, enjoy the concerts. Great. What was especially gratifying for me, actually, was even the hours uh, leading up to the, to the concerts, we were able to populate that channel with destination information and some some of the cool videos and things like that that we've ah, been, we've been yeah. uh, producing over the last couple of years. So that was nice for us to see to see ways you can use this technology moving forward. And, and that's we're just sort of tapping into that now and deciding how, how we can do this uh, for different purposes down the road too. Yeah, I think exclusive anything gives hotels, restaurants, attractions that opportunity to grab people who are still maybe a little skittish or even those who are not 
more so today than ever. I've always been a big proponent of how do you figure out a way to transform these three or four hotels into, you know, some sort of a affinity weekend. Maybe it's cooking weekend and we acquire a couple of the food channel talking heads to come in and do some demonstrations, but it has to be with, you know, an overnight stay, or maybe it's a gardening weekend, or maybe it's a romance weekend over one side or the other of Valentine's Day, whatever that is. I've always been a big proponent is, is how can a DMO, especially during the winter, really help the hotels fill on the weekends? And oftentimes I think it is the exclusivity that the only way you're going to get this is if you purchase a room. So, so here's my question. And it's a totally unfair question because this is the Monday after the first weekend, but you were there in one of the hotels. Did you see a lot of groupies? Did you see, a lot, <laughs> did you see a lot of people who came in? What kind of response do you think the first weekend got? It is tough to tell. And I know there were a number of people, even in the hotel that I was at that were there for that purpose. So I'm, I'm confident in saying that. I think it is one of those things where we've got to wait till we see some of the numbers um, come in to, to get a better sense of, of just how popular and how successful this is. But I'll tell you, I'm very glad to get through the first weekend with a successful couple of concerts because the technology was so uh, <laughs> yeah. so new and, and really um, hadn't been used in this way before. And now that we know that it works and, uh, and it, it, it can be a really enjoyable experience for people, I'm going to feel even more comfortable uh, with pushing this marketing message out there in our in our community and in our region to get people coming, because it's uh, it was a it was a nice experience and it was a you know this is the first time in months that I've stayed in a hotel and it was a nice change of scenery and I think that we will see this combined with the fact that we are opening up a little bit more I think we're we're going to see some strong weekends at uh, at participating hotels for the next three weekends after this too. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, the room service concert series is just one of the things we wanted to talk to you about, but we, we led with it because it's it's timely. And you know, I'm a, I'm a music guy. So <laughs> I just think it is brilliant. I, I love it. But let's get to your second question. Speaking of meetings and conventions, a number of DMOs over the past decade have established alliances, if you will, with other destinations to sell the group of destinations as a package, making it easier for the event planner. You've recently launched what you call the Hybrid City Alliance, and this baby is global. So tell us about the concept and the players. We are really excited about this. Uh, you know, in Ottawa, we've been partnering either informally or more recently formally with the Hague Convention Bureau in the Netherlands for, for a number of years. And, uh, and our cities have a lot in common from a size perspective, a political perspective, and, and even, uh, if you will, a, a personality perspective. And this relationship is built on principles that are consistent with our, our two cities' identities, things like inclusiveness and collaboration. Because of the type of cities we are, we both like to think that we punch a little bit above our weight in terms of hosting international conventions. And uh, you know, I'm very proud there have been tangible results of that partnership as well with, say, an international convention booking our cities for back-to-back -back events, uh, at least partly because of that relationship. And in 2020, it was pretty obvious pretty quickly that meetings weren't going to be the same for a while. And as yeah. we sought some ways to meet shifting expectations, it only made sense to do so with our partners in The Hague. And that then grew to include other like-minded cities like Geneva and Prague, uh, which were the, really those are the four founding, uh, founding members of the, the Hybrid City Alliance. And now there's 18 cities that are part of this alliance on six continents. And so it's grown quite a bit in the past few months. Now, to me, the big story is, is the continuation of our relationship with The Hague. 
and the four co-founding cities collaborating and reinventing how we look at doing business. But make no mistake, we are seeking to get business on the book. This is a business development play for sure, yeah. but in a unique way through collaboration with these like-minded destinations from, from all around the world. So things like sharing best practices, trying to provide solutions to facilitate delivering hybrid or, or multi-city events, but again, still with that end goal of driving delegates to our cities. We want to enhance face-to-face -face meetings, not replace them. And I think we've seen how some groups in the past year have really been able to broaden their audience through the smart use of technology yeah. with, with some of their meetings and conventions. So, so this alliance is, is full of very creative people. And I know that we are all wide open to, to new ways of doing business and giving that a one point of contact for multi-city events. But it, it really is all about helping clients and planners, help them define what it means to run a multi-city hybrid event, help choose the right option. Is it in person or fully virtual or, or a multi-hub hybrid event? Because each of those has its own pros and cons. And, and how do we provide some ideas and some some guidance on, on how an event like that can work, knowing that it might mean different experiences at different times in different cities as well. So lots of that, uh, lots of that data, of course, this is all being done in keeping with ongoing health and safety challenges because the world uh, as a whole is definitely not out of this global pandemic quite yet. And let's just imagine a day that we are. I'm not sure that's ever going to happen, but let's imagine that we are in 2020, I don't know, six, and we have beaten COVID and another one has not reared its head and started up again. And people are shaking hands and kissing each other and, and, and hugging and everything's back to, we're kind of back to normal. Do you think that the hybrid thing continues in 2027? If we can kill this thing in 2026? Because meetings are about face-to-face. It's always about face-to-face. -face. I forget who said it, and I hate it when I can't give attribution, but whoever you are, I'm with you. Somebody said earlier on, the only reason that Zoom meetings are working is because we have the relationships already. That Zoom meetings among new people that have never met each other are not nearly as successful. And neither are hybrid meetings where you can't network with new people that you'd like to meet. The only way that the, you know, it's working is because you're networking with your old friends, which is, you know, I mean, it's fun, but it's, it's, it's not advancing, you know, the cause. So does hybrid exist in 2030, do you think? We're now, what, 16 months into a period of making a streak of wrong predictions. <laughs> if we go back to what we thought in March 2020 was going to happen. Uh, I don't know if you made all the right predictions. I certainly didn't make all the right mm -hmm. predictions. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> the view that we've tried to take as an organization now is less about making predictions and, and more about being prepared for a number of different possible outcomes and circumstances. I don't know for sure what's going to happen by 2027. I, I can say I think this is one of those cases where we're smart if we are at least planning for the possibility that uh, that hybrid events are going to be part of our life uh, moving forward. And the, the other aspect that I would add to that is, I'm, I'm like you, Bill, I think I, I can't wait till we are able to get back to the, the sort of comfort level that we all used to have in, you know, a couple of years ago with in-person events. It, it is not the same online as it is meeting in person. That face-to-face -face experience, especially as you say, with new people is second to none. It can't be duplicated as effectively in an you know, online world. But I think there is a possibility that we get back to that part of the things that we love with some of those big events and conventions and, and meetings. 
with also the added benefit for the planners through this, this hybrid approach, uh, whether it's a geographical hybrid approach or a partial virtual, partial in-person, yeah. of still being able to reach that bigger audience. And I think of some of the ones that I've been to in the past year or so, where the, the in-person event would have been measured in the, in the hundreds perhaps, but the virtual event that took place has now been measured in the thousands of participants. And if we can get to a stage where both of those things are happening, I can certainly see some big benefits for the association or for the convener who's holding that event to see, I'm still getting the person engagement and the networking mm-hmm. and, and the revenue that comes from that, but I'm also reaching this huge audience in a, in a more virtual format, this hybrid format. And I think there's some pros to that as well. Yeah. I think where we are is that the learning part of meetings and conventions is probably better done virtually. I, honestly, you can focus, you can go back and watch it again. You're not distracted. The person next to you is not talking your ear off when you're trying to listen to the speaker, but there's just no way to do the networking. It just doesn't work. And so that's going to be the interesting balance going forward. And it's going to be fascinating to see. I, as much as I, I would love it all to be in person, I think that hybrid is here to stay if the meeting professional can figure out a way to monetize it because right now it's killing them. And you know this, that's what we hear from meeting planners everywhere is I'm, I'm essentially running two events with less revenue than I had for one event. And so fiscally it's tough. I think hybrid's here to stay. So congratulations on what you guys are doing with the Alliance. I think it's fabulous. On to your third question, we're seeing a long overdue uptick in apprenticeship programs and other initiatives that engage traditionally underrepresented populations in this sensational travel and hospitality industry that we love. Past guests on DMOU, Greg DeShields, Al Hutchinson, have shared some key components of their programs with us. You've got one too. Tell us about your very cool Indigenous Tourism Entrepreneurship Training Initiative that is starting to produce some real success stories. Thanks, Bill. First, I'll explain what it is, and then, and then I'll say why we are so passionate about it and, and why it's so important to us. And it, it's a bit of a long answer, so please bear with me. No, no, no. That's why we're here. And I'll also say we are inspired by people like Greg and Al and, and what we see in Philadelphia and Baltimore and so many other cities uh, across North America. It's great to have leaders like that showing us, uh, showing us uh, the way to do it. So. Here in Ottawa, our organization collaborated with Algonquin College with some financial support from our federal government to develop a training program to support Indigenous tourism entrepreneurs in our region. This training initiative was a 10-week program developed by Indigenous entrepreneurs and subject matter experts and designed to equip local Indigenous tourism businesses and entrepreneurs with those foundational business skills that they need and, and startup development tools and some sector resources that they really need to succeed. And here's why it's important, and it's a story, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, Ottawa was the host city for the virtual summit on Indigenous music, put together by the extremely talented Amanda Rayom, a singer-songwriter from Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And there was an interesting session on the call to not just be an ally, but to be an accomplice for the Indigenous community. And when one is an accomplice, there's this deeper level of reciprocity, you know, moving the needle to, to a more relationship-based part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And the main yeah. message was that the, the pace is not for the non-Indigenous accomplice to determine, but to create a space for that relationship to really flourish. And that's what we're aiming to do with this Indigenous Tourism Entrepreneurship Training. And I'll tell you, Bill, our learning is just starting on this topic. We have a lot of listening and learning yet to do as an organization and as individuals. We all do. But we are fully committed to continuing to do just that. 
And as tourism professionals, we have to recognize the tremendous benefit to cultural sharing and projecting of identities that can happen within a tourism experience for both the community where it's taking place, but also for the visitor who, who engages in experiences there. And there's definitely a role for us to play in that space. We continue to hear more and more about that as people talk about regenerative tourism as well. And here's here's the reciprocal benefit for us, the, the Ottawa destination brand essence of being Canada in one city and telling the story of Canada mm-hmm. has powerful potential to be part of the work of reconciliation that this country has to do. And this means that Part of that story and part of a visitor's experience in Ottawa needs to educate our visitors that this is the traditional territory of the Algonquin people, and it has been for 10,000 years. And the story that visitors see can't just be the stories of, of celebration, but also stories where we own up as a nation to the past and, and present injustices toward Indigenous peoples who, who were here long before settlers were. Yeah. And the experiences right. and perspectives of Indigenous entrepreneurs today will further teach visitors and locals about the, the distinctness and worldview of Indigenous heritage, the celebration of Indigenous culture that we should also be making space for. These are all stories uh, that we should be telling, but they should be told by Indigenous people and Indigenous business people are rightfully the ones to be leading that in our tourism sector. And maybe a couple of last points on the, on the training initiative itself. Now, our partner, Algonquin College, has a learning environment designed by and for Indigenous learners under guidance by nearby Indigenous communities and knowledge keepers. And it was important for this training to ground the teachings in, in terms of the, the business fundamentals, for sure, and understanding of tourism in a learning environment that's based on Indigenous storytelling, where the facilitators themselves are Indigenous and where the curriculum has been fully rooted in Indigenous ways of, of learning and knowing. And, to have now some successful graduates ready to launch or further develop their tourism business ideas sets the stage for this regenerative approach to, to destination development and enhances enhancements of our of our tourism product. And you know, the last part of the training was was putting their learnings to the test with a, with a pitch session where the top pitch performances received a video and photography package from Auto Tourism, mm. which we're now promoting and the entrepreneurs can use uh, in their own business promotions. And we're just proud to have put the, the finishing touches on these videos just now and uh, and have unveiled them on our dedicated webpage for this initiative, storytotell.ca. And we're very proud of Mark at Makatoo Workshops and Paula from Andres Clothing, who were selected for their extraordinary work and their pitches during this training. So as I said, it's, it's, it's so important. Tourism can play a real role in reconciliation in this country where the full potential of tourism as a a reflector of cultural identity and a celebrator of differences can be recognized and where the benefits to communities are are not just economic. I mean, that's obviously very important to what we do, but there's also social benefits beyond that. And when Indigenous tourism entrepreneurs who are providing experiences here in our community within Algonquin territory are able to fully tell their story, and when visitors can learn from this and have a deeper appreciation of Canada, then our destination is able to tell the complete story of Canada. And that's ultimately a much richer and deeper aspect to our brand. And it's the, the authenticity that visitors are looking for and that we should be striving for in the tourism community. And we're just so happy that there are, are some new and growing businesses that this initiative has helped to support. This obviously dovetails then right back to who you are as a destination that, you know, all of Canada in one place. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. And but again, we can't just say that. We have to. We have to live it and acknowledge the the good and the bad parts of uh, of, of what yep. there is in, in Canada's history and present. And this is an important part of that. 
Yeah, and we all do. So storytotell.ca is where you can find more on this initiative. Tell us about the other two. Tell us about the Alliance, where we can find more on that, and the uh, Room Service Concert Series, which I still just love. I wish I could be up there for one weekend to catch that. That just sounds great. It's going to be three more great weekends. Yeah, you can find all the information on the Room Service Concert Series on our website, ottawatourism.ca. And the, I know the Hybrid City Alliance is working on, if not having officially launched a website as well. And I think you'll be able to find that at hybridcityalliance.org. And so there's lots of great information about the participating cities and how how the cities can help with a planner to take advantage of the, the skills and knowledge that is available through this, uh, this tremendous alliance. Very cool. Michael, loving what you're doing up there in Ottawa and uh, looking forward to hopefully being able to... Um, Shake hands, again, maybe at Destinations International this summer, but time for your bonus round question. So at the close of your bio, almost hidden from view, is this, certified barbecue judge. Is that a real thing? And how do I get certified? Because <laughs> I love barbecue. <laughs> it is 100% real. Um, uh... <laughs> And I am, uh, I am actually very, very proud of it. You should be. Uh, it is my favorite part of my bio. Uh, <laughs> I've got my backyard smoker. My Instagram feed is, is either pictures of my dog or pictures of whatever meat I'm smoking on the weekend, which is <laughs> great. much food for, for just my wife and me. But um, yeah, no, it's, uh, Kansas City Barbecue Society is the bestower of, uh, of certified barbecue judge uh, uh, certification. It was at a PCMA event a few years ago when I first learned that one could be a certified barbecue judge. It was Jay Bayer who that had that line tucked into him yeah. as well. And I thought, boy, that sounds great. And I looked it up and found a, a training course coming to Ottawa in a couple of months and booked a day off, took the training and passed the test and became a <laughs> the Kansas City Barbecue Society. So yes, Bill, you too can get certified by putting in a, a half day of grueling studying and sampling of brisket, pork, and chicken. I think I could do that. That's on my list for this summer. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love it, though, but that's just great. And I'm a smoker, too, so uh, we'll have to compare recipes next time we uh, we get together. I've, I think I've stumbled upon a rub that's a keeper. It's been a couple of years where I'm just trying everything, and it's just uh -huh. like it's, it's close, but then... Uh, it's close enough, but hot enough that Terry gives me the stink eye. So I've got to get more sweet going. And I, I think I finally did it. So we'll have to compare uh, rubs. Excellent. Love it. All right. Hey, Michael, thank you again. And looking forward to seeing you somewhere down the path uh, in the next year or so as uh, things begin to open up once again. Thanks for taking time out again. Thanks, Bill. Can't wait to see you in person. You bet. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, our friends at Longwoods International, the producers of groundbreaking research, thought-leading insights, and excellent counsel and service to DMOs in areas such as visitor research, advertising effectiveness, image research, and the new resident sentiment study. Learn more at longwoods-intl.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services for the DMO industry, links to our book, Destination Leadership, the Z News, our position papers on board diversity and the future of destination marketing, our blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.